Welcome to Emmaism, a philosophy podcast for students of philosophy, because that really is what we all are, seekers of knowledge. Something that's been on my mind recently is society's increasing reliance on technology. This week, we'll be discussing the extended mind thesis and the philosophy of electronic devices. If you listened to my last episode, as you can see, I'm not going in chronological order at all in terms of philosophy's timeline in this podcast. Yeah, Plato's allegory of the cave to the extended mind thesis isn't really the route you'd expect, but I don't believe that philosophy is a linear subject, and it does not have to be studied chronologically. All philosophy was contemporary at one point, and I like comparing the past with the present, because without our history, we wouldn't have a foundation to look back to. Without the present, we would just be lost in some outdated belief system, and obviously, What would we be doing if we were aiming toward something that wasn't a future? We have to have a future. First, let me just introduce what the Extended Mind Thesis is and why technology has developed into a rich philosophical topic, especially during our pandemic. And let me just add, the Extended Mind Thesis is probably my favorite philosophical topic. We'll get into why later. And I'm a big believer in it, so I'm really excited to be talking about this on my platform. The Extended Mind Thesis is a hypothesis created by Andy Clark and David Chalmers. It's the belief that the mind does not solely reside in one's head or body, but extends to the outside world. External objects can be part of a cognitive process and function as extensions of the mind. Technology has always been such a rich philosophical field, as it enhances our societal condition, continually progresses, and reveals new challenges as the zeitgeist of the years march on and transform. In just 2020, we've seen an astronomical increase in society's reliance on technology with the pandemic going on. In-person connection has been limited for obvious reasons and replaced by Zoom meetings, Microsoft Teams, and Skype, all to our dismay, schools have also resorted to remote learning. But you know this is old news, we've all heard and seen this go on live, so I'm not going to dwell on it much longer. But the fact that Zoom meetings have replaced in-person contact is notable, and I kind of want to reflect on that philosophically and the consequences for a bit right now. The philosophy of this new way of human connection is worth exploring because it's really affected everyone. Pre-pandemic, we would have no barrier between each other when we interact, and having to create and maintain relationships through the internet takes a toll on our individual autonomies and ability to connect. Bonds, relationships, they strengthen our community, and without the in-person interaction, it's nearly impossible to have the same effect from connecting. Today, we're faced with having to rely on a stable internet connection, a working Zoom account, and a reliable electronic device with a working camera. And believe it or not, but the working camera bit is one that I've become super aware of given my multiple trips to the Apple Store early on last semester. On top of this, during the Zoom meetings and conferencing, we outsource our vision and hearing for the sake of an internet call and sacrifice the feeling of touch too. Hearing, vision, and touch, part of the five senses, they're all integral to strengthening bonds and manifesting our humanity. If our humanity is characterized by bonds and relationships and the senses of connection, then in a sense, using the internet's altering our humanity. 
Remote learning, which is also similar through virtual conferencing platforms like Zoom, it's a whole other beast to tackle. Again, students who are continuing to pursue their education are forced to stare at their computer screens for upwards eight hours a day. Homework's reduced to clicking on tabs, reading online articles, participating in online discussions, and on a personal note, these online discussions are literally the death of my roommate and I. Mostly her, though, because she has way more of them. To start out the semester, though, we both did these little 10-second clips for our ancients class saying our names and something that made us smile. It probably took me 10 tries to get my double chin out of the frame. <laughs> Online videos give us the opportunity to give something a second go or even a tenth go without anyone else seeing it before it's been perfected. That being said, we can now tune our image prepared to others strategically because we have the ability to redo and redo again our videos and presentations. Outsiders are getting a filtered and cherry-picked version of who we are. It's a sort of artificiality, and that's harmful to our developing society as well. My roommate Tori, however, continued doing these Flipgrid videos for one of her classes. You know, they'd be a little longer, like five minutes, and every Friday a bunch of them would be due, and she'd say, Emma, can you leave for a few minutes so I can film my Flipgrid? So yeah, I'd go out of the room, I'd hear her talk into her computer for a few minutes, hearing her redo a piece every now and then, and she would submit it. And she'd watch other people's videos and respond with her own separate one. And there, right there, there's no real conversation. It's a sort of fabricated internet relationship of sorts. And these kind of homework assignments eliminate the person-to-person -person connection completely. Because at the end of the submission period, she's just waiting for someone in her class to just respond to her video. Unfortunately, this is what distance learning's like and what distance homework robs you of. This Flipgrid example is indicative of the disjoint feeling a lot of people are having during the pandemic with these distance learning and relationship building hurdles. There's a disjoint in conversations, relationships, and in the material learned. I think it's just unbelievable that these educators believe that information will reach and impact students through an environment barren of that person-to-person -person interaction. On top of all that, on a slightly different note, teachers demand that their students might, may not consult the internet during their online tests and essays. Now, with that demand, we're getting somewhere philosophical and somewhere that the philosophers Clark and Chalmers even address in their interviews about the extended mind thesis. In a time where the cognitive process of learning is coming from the medium of the internet, shouldn't students be tested with all aspects of their cognitive processes being available to them? So Chalmers and Clark argue that our mind extends to our electronic devices and they're actually fair game to use during examinations. I know a lot of students are thankful for a momentary booster hopefully prolonged boost in their GPA, thanks to their access to Quizlet, Course Hero, and Chegg. And a lot of principal students also find themselves in a dilemma where they feel that other students may be taking advantage of this access and have a leg up on exams. So not using these resources would be like a handicap on them. Faced with this problem, these students have to make a decision on whether to eliminate that handicap of theirs and use the internet or to take the handicap and the chance that they'll do worse than their peers that use their notes on the internet.
But according to the extended mind thesis, the internet lives in our subconscious and is fair game to be tested during exams. But that's just Chalmers and Clark. But so I guess for now, it's still up to the professor on whether a test is open book or not, or rather open internet or not. But I'll still bring up the auto experiment because some of you students may still want to challenge your professors with the extended mind theory. And it's possible. So basically, there's this experiment that Clark and Chalmers present where there are two people, Otto and Inga, who want to go to the Museum of Modern Art. Inga recalls that once she went to the MoMA, and it's on 53rd Street. So she goes to 53rd Street. Indeed, the museum's there. She walks into the museum, has a great time. Otto, on the other hand, has Alzheimer's. He went to the MoMA once before too, like Inga, but he has Alzheimer's. Can't remember where it is, but he wrote it down in his notebook where the address was. And he looks at his notebook. He sees that the MoMA's on 53rd Street and goes into the museum, has a great time. In these two cases, there are cognitive processes occurring. Inga consults her memory, and Otto's memory is occupied through his notebook. In a sense, the notebook is essentially Otto's extended mind. In this case, it would be unfair to test Otto without his notebook against Inga and her wholly functioning memory. So there, you got the little auto thought experiment to help you make your case for using the internet during tests. The idea of outsourcing a cognitive function is really interesting to me because it's extremely relevant in my life. I had a big moment earlier this year when I found out that I was partially deaf. And ever since that diagnosis, I've been wearing hearing aids. It was honestly crazy to find that out, especially when I've been living my life so long, not even knowing I had this disability. But yeah, nothing replaced the feeling when I put on my hearing aids for the first time and could hear the air conditioner running. I had no idea it made a noise before. Despite all the benefits my hearing aids bring, I found myself not wearing them as much as I probably should because something about wearing them bothered me and I couldn't really place my finger on what that was. This new normal for me in junction with what I read in terms of philosophy of technology and the extended mind led me to conclude that technology has the capacity to limit my freedom. As a partially deaf individual, I accept the need to outsource this basic human function in order to go about my everyday life. But honestly, I never previously considered that by outsourcing my hearing, I'd lose the ability to choose what to hear. And there, I put my finger on what it was that bothered me about my hearing aids. I lost the ability to choose. Just to add, I've come to this conclusion from many different circumstances. One time, I took out my hearing aids at the dining hall. Even though I could barely hear my friends, I heard the faint noises of the kitchen staff clashing tongs against metal trays. I heard the TV on. I also heard the faded music playing on the overhead speakers. Yeah, all the sounds were diminished because my hearing is impaired, but I controlled the ability to choose which of these diminished sounds I wanted to hear. As soon as I put my hearing aids back into my ears, I could only hear the voices of my friends. The technology of the hearing aids cannot differentiate between the noises I am hearing and the noises I want to hear. 
The hearing aids amplified the dialogue between my friends and silenced other sounds as irrelevant background noise. But what if my favorite song was playing? It would definitely be an ABBA song or something, which is so fun to listen to, as a side note. But if it was playing, then my hearing aids would rob me of the chance to listen. And that's a problem for me. My point isn't restricted to hearing and hearing aids. I'm echoing the concept that by outsourcing functions to technology, that compromises our autonomy. And as a result, we lose the ability to exercise our free will. Until this philosophical discussion, I wasn't truly bothered by the idea of outsourcing my hearing. But now, I'm kind of disturbed by how much of my life technology filters out. Even though my disability limits me to hearing diminished versions of what's really being put out there in the world, I'd be able to choose what to listen to rather than having that choice be made for me. I was unaware this choice was being made for me because the function of my hearing aids lived in my subconscious. I don't know. I just feel like it's an important choice to be made for me by technology. I'm delegating the ability to make a choice to technology. That delegation lived in my subconscious until I became aware of the extended mind thesis. I have an active externalism going on. It's affecting me. My hearing aids perform a similar cognitive role to everyone else's healthy ears. This is a useful augmentation. Because otherwise, I'd be handicapped in my classes, struggling to hear, let alone understand the knowledge being brought forth. This active externalism comes into play once my hearing aids filter out certain noises, which alters what information gets put in my ear and then processed and understood. Maurice Merleau-Ponty describes amputees' prosthetics as a direct extension of being, a sense organ that's attuned to the world, not an external object. I see my hearing aids as just that. They're a sense organ to me and don't feel like an external object to me. My hearing aids enable me to hear and have the opportunity to understand, although it may be a filtered and incomplete understanding since they replace my subconscious action to choose what to listen to and amplify the most obvious noises. Hearing aids, prosthetics, and other technological medical devices demonstrate that we're quite adept at using technology to expand our embodied relation to the world and with it, our sense of identity. Though it is integral to my state of being, my reliance on technology through outsourcing one of my most basic human functions should not be taken naively. I do lose a piece of my autonomy and my decision-making capacity is altered. There's a thrill in the daily opportunity to exercise one's free will. And when you realize that you never had the chance for that, it hurts. Though I will continue to wear my hearing aids and outsource the majority of my hearing, I will never forget to take them out occasionally and sit outside to see if I can hear the wind and maybe the birds, considering they're loud enough. That's all I have today for Emmaism's podcast. I just wanted to extend my thanks for the support of the podcast and for listening this far. I find it extremely rewarding to increase awareness for deafness and love to relate it to philosophy. I hope you all enjoyed and we'll be back next time for a new exploration. Until next time, keep searching for the truth.